0: Building in Perth, everything you wish you knew in five informative episodes, available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I'm back. You can't get rid of me that easily. This is the Building in Perth podcast, and my name is Dezo. What we're going to be going through in this little bonus episode today is how to read your working drawings. So they're the real technical sort of looking drawings that come through as part of your lumps on building contract. Now, I am going to be working through a lot of this on my screen, which you see behind me. Now, if you are listening to this on um, a podcast sort of format, then please do check this out on YouTube. You can go to uh, com and watch on there, uh, simply for the fact that uh, this is quite a visual thing that I'm going to be going through, and it might be a little bit hard to follow if it's audio only. All right, so let's dive in and take a look. So I'm going to work through each page of this client's Plans, okay. I am actually going to start with the site plan shortly, but before I get to that, I just want to uh, touch on something else. So, this is what the working drawings of a home look like at the lump sum building contract stage. Now, don't worry when these first come through if things aren't quite right on something like your electrical plan, like you have a look at, uh, say, the PowerPoint locations as an example, or light switch location, or the placement of lights. All of that can be finalized at your selection. Or pre-start meeting, okay? So what these drawings are really done for is for finance to go to the bank, okay? So minor cosmetic detail can still be adjusted. Structural things, no, but cosmetic sort of stuff, yes, okay? So I thought it was important to kind of just take you through where these drawings come from, okay? So the drawings start their life in a place, something like this here, okay? so. This piece of software is called Archicad, that's what um, we use, but other building companies might use different ones. Archicad tend to be the the, the main one that most builders tend to use in WA though, okay? So um, what this is, is what we call building information modeling software, okay? So you kind of draw a house, more or less how it's going to be built. So it actually is drawn in a 2D way, kind of like you see on your screen here. And at the same time, it is building a, 3D type model in the background, okay? So if uh, I was to change something on the 2D as an example, I might change this window hypothetically. So uh, let's change the height of it to uh, 1372, okay? So I've just changed the height of this window here. If I jump into here, it is going to update the window height. So that's just kind of an example of how the two work together. Now, I do my sales sketches in this software. Lots of building companies do things differently on the front end with their sales consultant. Some use pen and pencil, and they're really, really good at that. Um, some use software like this as well. It just depends on the, the building consultant a lot of the time, okay? So, it was more to just to show you through how these drawings are put together and, and where they come from. You know, it's not someone sitting there trying to visualize how this is going to look when it's built they do actually have a very good visual indicator on exactly how the home is going to present when they're giving you these drawings. So it goes right down to the, the inside of the home uh, as well, by and large. So if I was to just sort of take the roof off for a second, uh, you can actually see inside, they've actually got cabinet work and range hoods and, and things like that in there. You can see the bulkhead over the top of the, uh, the range hood there as well. So it does go into quite a bit of uh, detail Okay, so anyway, I just thought I'd address that cause I kind of wanted you to understand where these drawings come from. Okay, so your drafting department will sit there and draw on something like this and they will end up giving you something that looks along the lines of these. Okay, so I'm gonna actually start with the site plan because that's really the first one that's gonna be, uh, I guess, more or less looked at. Uh, for the trades on site. So the people that do site works and lay the concrete slab and also the initial stages of the brick walls as well. We're gonna be referring to a drawing that looks something along the lines of this, okay? So what this is, is a plan of your block. So you'll see here this dark black line around the outside. That's your block. That's what you would have seen, I guess at a sales stage when you've spoken to a land agent and you've got your plan of all your blocks on it. you would see an outline something like this when you purchased it, okay? So you've still got the street uh, and the council verge in front of that. This line is what we would call your building envelope as such, what you're allowed to, to sort of build on, okay? So I'm just gonna take you through some of the notes that are actually written on this one and I'm gonna highlight things as I go through. So this one says here, the contour survey and engineers report were not available when preparing the working drawings due to block conditions not being finalized. Uh, site planner, site works, costs will be finalized once these have been received. In the meantime, to avoid delays, working drawings have been brought forward to contract stage until further notice. So what that's basically saying is that for this client in particular, the block was what we call untitled. So you might've heard that before. When a block's untitled, it means that um, Landgate can't actually uh, yeah, basically issue the, the paperwork that's necessary for the land to transfer from, say the, in this case, the land developer's name into your name. Okay, and at this point in time, this block wasn't even constructed for our um, surveyors to go out and take a proper site survey. So that's when they actually take all the intricate levels and measurements of the site that we need to do this plan properly, right? And also the soil report as well. They couldn't gain access to the block, okay? Now, in this particular estate where this client was uh, building, we know what the soil class is going to be there already. It was a big major development, very soft, very sandy. Uh, A class soil. So basically once the site survey is complete and they can gain access to the block, uh, they provide us with an electronic drawing of that survey and our drafting department are basically gonna drop the house onto that and they might just adjust it a tiny bit just to to suit that um, plan that they give us. So all the measurements on here, so all of these numbers, they are in millimeters. And for the most part on plans, they're always going to be in millimeters with one exception, which I'll get to when I get to the floor plans and elevation. Actually, I'll touch on it now because I'll talk about the uh, the concrete slab uh, level as well and then I'll duck up to the elevation. So all of these measurements are in millimeters, but some measurements are going to be given in what we call a course, okay? So that's a the size of a single brick with a line of mortar essentially. Now. Easiest way to remember this is, one course equals 86 millimeters. Now, if you commit one thing to memory, that's a technical piece of information during your building journey, that's a really, really good one because you're gonna see and hear the word course a lot. Just know that one course is 86 millimeters, very important one to remember. All right, so um, what I was gonna talk about was you can see here it says garage, concrete at negative 100. It also says the same for the alfresco at negative 100. So what does negative 100 mean? So what that means is it's actually gonna be 100 millimetres below what we call zero courses, which would be the top of the slab basically. Okay, so I'm just gonna scroll up and show you what that means on the elevation. So here we go, Uh, where are we? We can see there, so FL, So floor level, finish level, whatever you want to call it, zero course, okay? So basically it means from this level, this dotted line here, we would be dropping down 100 millimeters to go to the garage concrete or the paving, or in this case, the exposed aggregate in the alfresco, same for the porch. So if you've walked through a display home or maybe even your own home at the moment, when you walk from inside to outside, you'll notice you've got that little step down. That is what that is referring to. Okay. So go back to our site plan. Sorry for scrolling uh, all the way through this. I know this one's a little bit more casual than some of the other uh, episodes that I've had. It's just sort of a little bit clunky to try and work through all of the drawings. All right, so 90 millimeter PVC prelay offset 300 millimeters from front boundary, right? So what this is really referring to is It's for reticulation, okay? So we are actually gonna be pouring concrete here for this little bit of driveway. They've got a garage that goes off onto the side street and there'll be a driveway crossover there that meets up with the street as well. Uh, Truth be told in this scenario, that driveway crossover is not going to be that large because we don't have that survey yet. Uh, The drafting department just didn't know where the street was, okay? So um, what that pipe is for, it's basically just to carry reticulation piping from this side of the home through to that little garden bed down the side. So obviously, if something like that wasn't provisioned and like do ask your builder if they do those little extra things like that because it's not always the case. Um, if you had, I guess, reticulation doing all of your gardens all over the house and then you had one garden bed that you couldn't get reticulation to, uh, it would be really annoying. And look, you can go underneath paving and concrete later on, but it's really, really hard and a little bit dicey to do so. Having this 90 millimeter PVC pipe, it's just a big plastic pipe, looks like a plumbing pipe, going from one side to the other, allows us that accessibility between one side and the other. So driveway crossover. So I've touched on this in some of the episodes before, but that's basically the piece of the driveway that goes from your lot boundary. So that uh, black line that I was talking about to the street. So it's council land, uh, essentially the council verge if you like, it does need to be trafficable for things like council trucks and things like that. All right, so we've got a boundary wall here and um, that's the only wall on this plan that is actually built to the boundary. But what you'll notice here, and have a look out for this little measurement, just um, so you sort of understand where the house is gonna sit on the block. We're actually gonna be building, for whatever reason, I don't know the technical ins and outs of this one specifically, it's more for drafting. And that may change when we get the survey as well, is that at the moment, this boundary wall for the garage would be built 100 millimeters off the actual physical pegged boundary, if that sort of makes sense. 15 here is just referring to the overall width of the block. That measurement there is in meters. Likewise with the 25 there, the 18.99 there, those ones are in meters. Uh, What else have we got? Okay, so these little hashed out areas, what you'll notice here is that um, what drafting do is they leave all of the plumbing items on the plan And then also any areas with wet area tiling, they're going to show as this hashed area. Now, why might that be? So obviously before your concrete slab is poured, we need to get piping in place to service things like your sinks, your toilets, your showers and everything like that. So um, we need to have those shown on the plan so the plumbing guys know where to put all of these pipes, okay? Now the hashed area is more to do with our wet area tiling. So when there's wet area tiling, we need to be able to create a fall to drains, okay? So if water gets on the floor, the water runs to the drain. So basically when a concrete slab is poured, and if you've ever been on a building site, you've probably noticed this, it's sort of like this nice smooth gray flat surface, but in areas where you see the pipes coming out, um, so usually toilets and bathrooms and laundries and things, the concrete seems to drop down maybe just a little bit like that, right? And the concrete's a little bit rougher if you like. Um, Basically, that's because when they tile it, they need to do what's called screeding and that allows them, I guess, the the flexibility to angle those tiles. Obviously, if you've got a flat surface, like a concrete slab, you can't do that, right? So uh, that is why these areas are hashed. So the guys doing the concrete know that that's what they need to do in those spots, right? So you'll notice it's all dimensioned and everything like that for them as well. Okay, um, I think that uh, about does it on the site plan? Look, if you are watching this and you do have any questions, just hit me up on Facebook or Instagram and I'll do my very best to answer them. Um, yeah, okay, let's dive into the floor plan now. Okay, so lots and lots of notes and things on this one. For the most part, it's lots and lots of measurements, okay? Um, but look, I'm gonna start up with some of the uh, notes up the top. So. It says here, all dimensions stated on these drawings relate to brickwork set out only. Plaster tiles and other finishes will alter the final dimensions. Care should be taken to consider such allowances when calculating clearance is required. So that is a note for trades, but why would that be important to you? It's important to note that all of these measurements on these plans are for brickwork, okay? So to raw brickwork, they're not taking into account uh, either drywall, if you're getting a drywall finish on your walls or the the gray um, sort of the set for the plaster and then the plaster on top of that, okay? So one, I guess, key one here where it's important to take measurements after your drywall or your float and set is done is if you are doing, say, window furnishings yourself as an example, the way that we would normally uh, measure that would be, uh, let me just zoom in a little bit and I'll kind of explain. so. Not always, but quite often. So let's say you're doing shutters, okay? Or maybe a roller blind that goes in the window reveal. Now, um, what I'm pointing to here, and I, I hopefully you can see this on your screen, is you know how you've got the little bit of brickwork that comes in before the actual physical glass of the window starts, right? That little space between here and here is what we call a reveal, okay? Now, if your window furnishing is fitting into a reveal. It's very important that you take those measurements after that plaster and drywall and everything's done because there is gonna be a variance there between the time the bricks are done and the time the plaster and the or or the drywall is taken care of. So the best way to do that, if you are um, doing your own window furnishings, buy a little laser measure. They're about 50 bucks from uh, Bunnings. Uh, They're really, really cool. It's a really quick way to get accurate measurements um, for your home if you do wanna get quotes done. So, Uh, Okay, let's zoom back out again. So that was an important note. Uh, It says here, number and placing of rainwater pipes is approximate and governed by roof structure and at plumber's discretion. So funnily enough, uh, just before I shot this video, I actually got a request to move a downpipe and it doesn't happen too often, but sometimes people do wanna shift them slightly, but do know that they're positioned and they're, I guess, fit for purpose. But as an example, if for some reason you didn't want this rainwater pipe here, you could always ask if you could move it around the corner. The answer may be yes, it may be no. I don't know the technical ins and outs of exactly how roof plumbing is calculated and how it works. Truth, That's the honest truth, I just don't know. Um, but I do know that they space these at the necessary intervals to accommodate for the amount of water that's coming down the roof and going into the gutters, okay? So it's not just a case of positioning them somewhere where it's visually pretty. They need to be practically placed as well. Okay, I think I did read through some of these prior. I don't think uh, any of those I needed to go into too much detail with, just to keep things moving relatively quick. Otherwise we could be here all day. All right, so let's talk ceilings. So here it says 28 course, remember we talked about courses and I'll touch on that again in a sec. CL, ceiling, throughout You know, So not like the really fun card game, but uh, that means uh, unless noted, Uh, otherwise. So, something popped up on my screen then. So basically what that's saying is, is the ceiling throughout all of the home will be 28 courses. So basically 2.4 meters, unless it says otherwise. And in this home, it does say otherwise in several locations. So we can see here, we've got different ceiling heights noted. Okay, so there's a little bit going on and that was just done to add a little bit of architectural interest to the home in uh, this scenario. Okay, so let's just touch on these courses again and really dive into that and explain it a little bit more because it is relative to uh, not only ceilings but heights of walls, Uh, it's to do with windows and things like that as well. So we know that it can refer to a ceiling height. Now over here, and you'll see this next to all of the different windows, right? You've got these measurements. Now the first number is always referring to height and that is always in brick course. The second number is in millimeters, which is a width bit confusing yes but that's just the way it's done. So um, let's have a look on the elevation and I'm going to explain that in a bit more detail. Okay so we can see here it's noting a ceiling at 28 course right. It's noting the underside of I guess the eave there at uh, 25 course. Top of this wall is at 35 course. Now, the easiest way for us to figure out what all of those measurements are and something that, that we know in terms of the metric system is just a calculator, right? So uh, 28 course is 2.4, that's a pretty easy one to remember or near enough. Um, say 25 course, I think you're about 2.2 or 2.150. Uh, some of the internal heights or 31 course ceiling is very close to 2.7. So 31 course is 2.666. Uh, And the 30 course is just under 2.6, I think. So it is, yeah, 2.580, okay? So you can figure it out very quickly just with a calculator, just remember times 86, okay? All right. Okay, what else have we got here? So boundary wall I covered off before in terms of how it works, refer to detail. I'll talk about that a little bit more um, when I get to the 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 details page a little bit later. Uh, Extent of painted render. So what this is basically saying, this house was on a corner, so the render actually goes down the side of the house. It was a little bit of a unique circumstance. It was just gonna look better, so that's the way we did it. But look for this note, and then notice the arrow coming down and pointing, okay? So that just means from this corner where the rainwater pipe is, from there onwards, it's all going to be rendered. Everything else behind here would be our two-course face brick okay now different builders may represent that differently um you would need to ask your builder about that but that's the way that we do it uh rwp i did touch on rainwater pipe before but they that's what they all stand for all right uh actually before i touch on what a a cavity closer sorry is let's just talk about what these lines on the page actually are so they're walls obviously we know that now a wall like this with the white line down the middle, okay? It's what we call a cavity wall. And look, you probably would have picked this up from your sales sketch stage uh, by the time you get these anyway, okay? But I'll go through it again just to be sure. So the way that we construct uh, most homes anyway here in Perth is we use 90 mil brickwork and then 50 mil cavity, then 90 mil brickwork, okay? So basically that external line is 90 mil brick, then the white line is the 50 mil cavity, then you've got your 90 mil brickwork. What does that mean for these ones that are just single lines? That just means it's 90 mil brickwork, no cavity. Pretty straightforward, right? So it's only your external ones where you're really gonna see uh, the cavity. So with the way that this is built as an example, so you've got cavity wall running through into the garage. Now, if this little piece of brickwork here, so 90 mil brickwork, so you've got your cavity wall going like this and we've got a brick closing it off, okay? So if we didn't have that piece of brick there, you would actually just see Bit of a hole in the wall, right? So we've got to put in a cavity closer, closes it off, so you don't see it, makes it all nice and pretty. Uh, okay, so concrete at negative one hundred. Oops, no, highlighting everything. Negative one hundred. We have covered off uh, hardy flex. Okay, so that's H slash flex there, twenty eight course. That's just saying it's a hardy flex ceiling at twenty eight courses. Okay, so two point four meters. Now, what is hardy flex? So Depending on again the builder, your home, etc., I always ask this. So usually the alfresco, certainly the eaves, would be a hardy flex material which is waterproof. Okay, that's when you look up, you can kind of see the little strips running through it. Um, so that's what would be in the garage. That's the most common thing to have in there. So it's different to a plasterboard ceiling where that is completely flush all the way through. That's probably the easiest way to explain it from just you looking at it in in a visual sort of way. Okay, so a plasterboard ceiling does look a little bit better but they're obviously going to cost a little bit more uh, as well. I'll touch a little bit more on hardy flex and plasterboard ceilings outside uh, when I talk about the alfresco on this particular home. All right, so you can see we've got some beams marked on here. So these ones that say LVL, they're normally like a big timber beam running through uh, across the top of your brickwork. And then you've got steel beams as well. Okay, so why summer timber, why summer steel is going to be to do with, I guess, the weight of the roof and loading and things like that. Certainly not my skill set whatsoever in terms of telling you the technicalities about why. Uh, I can tell you that they're going to be there and what they're going to look like though, okay? So not all of the roof work has a complete plan. So for all of those complicated looking timbers that you see on a roof structure when it goes up, what we do see is these Uh, primary beams that they then put the roof structure on. Okay, so um, generally speaking, uh, I know that all of our homes, we use say a 25 degree pitch roof, they'll have these beams in place and then they know the pitch of the roof and they can calculate the rest from there and put all of the necessary timbers in place. So uh, that's what you will expect to see in that location. Say for example, you go through your home uh, just before all of the roof timbers start going up, what you often find is you walk through a brickwork and you'll see all of the big major beams sort of running through there okay uh okay easy one the numbers that you see on the doors refer to the width of the door opening it's pretty straightforward that's in millimeters so 820 you will actually notice on wet areas quite often they will be a 720 door it's just a more suitable size door for a wet area Uh, You can actually get wider ones as well, which are sometimes handy for assisted living. So if you're older or you're thinking that in the future you might um, need wheelchairs or something like that, then the wider doors can be a good option. They can look a little bit too big as well. So they do have their practical use, but generally speaking your 820 is the way to go for your door. Soffit over, okay. So what does that mean? Basically it just means that these sliding doors for that robe don't go, all the way up to the roof, there is gonna be some um, sort of brickwork above there. Okay, so soffit generally just sort of means in building terms underside, okay. So it can be used in several different ways that term, but in this case, that's what it means. All right, inside the robe, we've got this little note that says VP with the dotted line. So what that actually means is vertical partition. So when a horizontal shelf goes over a certain length, it needs something to support it in the middle. So if you pop things like suitcases and stuff up there, shelf doesn't collapse, obviously. So you'll see VP written in, sometimes in linen cupboards as well. I think we've got one down here Um, and potentially in pantries and things like that if you've got big enough pantries. So what else should we touch on through here? Okay, okay, Cont HWUU. So that just means continuous flow hot water unit. So HWU hot water unit, that's the one to look out for. This is also marked on the elevation as well. So you can see the positions. Sometimes you will have flexibility with locations of those as well. So if you'd plan to say put a clothesline there or something that was gonna interfere, you can actually ask for that uh, to be repositioned as well. Uh, Wall mount AC unit, uh, pretty easy one to remember. Air conditioning unit, obviously. Now. Actually, while we're on this, AFL. So, this is one that you do see pop up quite a bit, particularly with the electrical plan. It just means above floor level. Okay. So, what you can expect to see here is our wall mounted aircon unit sitting this far above the floor. All right. Now, when we're talking about windows again, uh, OBSC means obscure. Okay. So, Generally, all of your windows are gonna be clear. Obviously, that's the way that we want them. Now, anywhere that you need privacy, like a bathroom or a toilet or something like that, your is generally gonna have an option for some kind of obscure glazing. So whether that be frosted, patterned, uh, or something like that, okay? And you can choose clear as well. And look, I know that I'm talking about the plans here, but just talk about style very quickly. Don't be afraid of using clear glass in toilets and bathrooms if you've got really suitable window furnishings, because it can still look really good. Uh, Okay. So, RA, another really easy one, that just means return air. So basically your air conditioning system, if it's a ducted system anyhow, it's gonna have a big sort of, well, ours are rectangular anyway, and for the most part, I think that all of the ones that I've ever seen are big long rectangles. Uh, Return air grills, so basically the part that sucks air out of the house, uh, obviously the other sort of, usually square vents blow air in. Uh, Okay these nifty little circles that you see on the plans. So we're gonna dive between a few pages here. So you notice them in the bathroom, you notice one in the laundry, and the kitchen has its own whole detail later on, which I'll go into, okay? Now, actually what I'll also just show you as well, because there is another case of this, we've also got them up here for what we call the elevation sheets, okay? So when you see these circles with an arrow, anywhere on your plan, right? Basically the easiest way to think of these is picture yourself standing in that circle, facing the direction the arrow's pointing, and that's what you're going to see on that plan, okay? So if I was to scroll down quickly and we were looking at say um, elevation three and four, okay? So let's just zoom out very quickly. So let's pretend we're standing kind of here, looking this way at the home. So that would be elevation three and elevation four, we're looking at this way, at the home, okay? Now, where are we? So, that's elevation one, elevation two. So there's elevation three, so we're looking at the back of the home. And there's elevation four, so we're looking at the side of the home, okay? So that was where our hot, u- hot water unit was, that was our aircon unit, those were our obscure glazed, Uh, windows there for the bathroom and the toilet. Now, going into a bit more depth with the bathroom and laundry ones, we have what's called room details uh, a little bit later on in our plan set, okay? So this gives us a bit more detail about what's happening in individual rooms, usually ones where there's a cabinet work implication, okay? So, we were looking at the ensuite before, Okay, so in fact, do you know what? I'm just gonna explain on the kitchen one because we've got a kitchen plan here right next to it, it's easier. So there we go, there's our little circle. So let's picture ourselves standing in the kitchen, okay? And we're facing that way out into the living room. So that's K1 and that matches up with K1 here. Okay, so as you can see on the far left, we've got our pantry, then we've got our fridge space with the the cabinets uh, overhead. Then we've got our uh, bin drawers just here. We've got dishwasher recess, which marries up with that. We've got the position of our sink and we can see there we've got cabinet doors. We've got three there, which would be that section there. And then we've got uh, four 450 wide drawers uh, at the very end. So that was K1. K2, not a great deal to see. It's just sort of a bit of a section through the cabinet work. Uh, If anything, it's probably to show the side detail of that little bit of a a bulkhead that's coming down there. You can kind of see, this is your ceiling up here. You've got your cornice, then you've got a little bulkhead that ties into your uh, kitchen cabinets. Also shows the spacing there of the 700 um, height between, I guess, your bench top and the overhead cabinets, which is where your splashback would effectively sit. And then you've got your uh, lower cabinets just below there. On K3, so if we're standing in that circle, looking at, I guess, the the main part of the kitchen, if you like, where the range hood and the, the oven and the cooktop are, kind of see our overhead cupboards. Again, you can see our bulkhead, our cornice and our ceiling above. You can see it notes the splash back there. We can also see that these guys have got like a little bit of a scullery going on. So extra stone bench in there, some extra cupboards, little appliance recess with a pot drawer underneath. So I hope that sort of um, covered off uh, how that all sort of fits together in terms of these little circles with those arrows. All right, let's go back up to our floor plan. Getting there, there we are. All right, so we're getting through there slowly. Now we're gonna talk about ceiling heights and kind of some of the feature ceilings that are on this plan now. They're not necessarily always gonna be applicable for you. It's really gonna be down to personal preference as to whether you've got things like feature raised ceilings and uh, little TV recesses with little bulkheads that drop down and things like that, right? So I'm just gonna go through what this client wanted Um, in terms of how things were gonna look, okay? So I'm gonna go through it on the floor plan, but then we're also gonna have a look at the detail sheet. Now, the detail sheet is a little bit of a daunting one to look at, but I'll try and explain it the best I can, okay? So what's happening, uh, I guess, let's talk about the family room first, okay? So we've got our main ceiling height here at 31 course, okay? So we know that's about 2.7 meters roughly, so sitting here Now, if we look into this, where it says brick bulkhead at 28 course referred detail, where this recess is, that's gonna be where their TV cabinet work and things go. Okay, so what's gonna happen there is that uh, there'll be kind of like a bit of a, a face and then it's gonna drop down the ceiling height to 2.4. Okay, so that recess has a that, the c- little bit of ceiling here, if you like, is going to be at 2.4. This bit of ceiling here, is going to be at 2.7. And then with this client in particular, they're doing one of these feature recess ceilings at 34 course. so I think that's near on three meters, okay? So if you were to sort of stand in this room and look at that TV recess above you, what you're kind of gonna see is a three meter ceiling, and then it's gonna drop down to a 2.7 meter ceiling, and then it's gonna drop down again into the TV recess at 2.4. I hope that made sense. Um, I'm just gonna dive and have a look at the detail just to kind of try and explain uh, the way that that's drawn on here. So brick bulkhead detail is for our TV recess, okay? So you can see here this was our 31 course main level of the ceiling in the living dining area, okay? Got your cornice and then you've got um, a and this is what we call a, a brick bulkhead, okay? So this will actually be constructed out of brick and it's basically sitting on what we call a lintel. So it's an, kind of like an L-shaped piece of steel. Obviously bricks can't float in thin air. Um, there's gotta be something there to support it. So that's actually what this um, item here means, MS Angle Lintel, it's a um, piece of steel that carries the bricks if you like, okay? So that will basically join from one side of the opening to the other. You've got a bit of steel that runs across in that L shape and your bricks sit on top of that that form the face of the bulkhead, if that sort of makes sense. Then we've got our um, underside of our uh, bulkhead there or TV recess, if you like, at 28 course, which you can see noted here, okay? And then we've obviously got our internal brickwork. That's our 50 millimetre cavity that I mentioned before then we've got our 90 millimeter external brickwork. Okay, so what that section there is relating to, just to go back up to the main floor plan, is it's relating to this part right here, okay? So it's kind of like they've got scissors, if you like, and cut through here, and we're looking at it that way, if that sort of makes sense, okay? Now there is also a detail for kitchen bulkhead, which is constructed in a bit of a different way. That's actually gonna be done with plasterboard instead of um, like a, it's gonna be done with a frame and plaster instead of brick. Um, And there's also the detail for the 34 course ceiling as well. Uh, And there's also one for the Alfresco because they're raising the Alfresco up to 31 course. So let's go and have a look at those details and I'll explain what's going on with the ceilings there. So we'll talk about the coffered ceiling first. So we've got our standard ceiling height of 31 course, right? Then they're basically gonna be using, these things here are basically timbers if you like. So um, this is what they're gonna be using to construct that raised section that goes up to the 34 course mark, okay? So that, that there then notes your 34 course, okay? Um, then where's our plaster one? Maybe there isn't one maybe not. Okay, let's talk about the Alfresco then. So, with the Alfresco, you've got your Eve here, which is at 28 course, okay? So we know that's 2.4, like we've said. Okay, so that's the bit that kind of overhangs where the paving would be, if that makes sense. Now, they wanted to raise their Alfresco ceiling up. So, as a standard for most builders, what you'll see is that this hardy flex lining at, depending on the build and things like that in the builder, 28 course running through the whole ceiling, okay? Now, what the clients wanted to do, they wanted the the ceiling to look like a flush plaster finish at the same height as the inside of the home, okay? So they've paid extra to have that happen. So what they're gonna do is after the eve sort of finishes, we're gonna be raising the ceiling up to 31 course, and then we've got our plasterboard ceiling, okay? so to just again, and sorry I'm diving backwards and forwards between drawings, this is kind of the way that you kind of need to read working drawings though you do read pages in conjunction with each other. Um, So we can see here this dotted line there, that's basically where our 31 course ceiling is. And then from this dotted line onwards, we're basically going to be um, at 28 course so at 2.4. So I, I hope that uh, made sense. All right, what else we got on here? MH, really easy one this time. That just means manhole. So on this plan uh, in particular, they've actually got two that's really to do with, I guess, the way the roof works with it being like a central courtyard style home. They just needed a couple to access both parts of the roof. Effectively, a lot of people ask, can I just move it to the garage? Depending on the layout of the home, yes. A lot of the time you can, that's a pretty good spot for it and a little hack as well, if you like, is what you can do is you can ask for a slightly larger manhole, it doesn't cost very much. Uh, You can often put a 1200 by 600 or something like that in there for a couple of hundred bucks. Usually it's not too expensive. All right. Um, Angle lintel, so there we go. Over the top of the fridge recess there, Kind of like I was talking to over here with um, the the little with the bricks on it. We're doing a similar thing for above where the fridge cabinet work is. Okay, so that's what that one means. Uh, structural column, so struct col. Okay, so what could that be for? Now you can see there that we've got a corner window, so that's where you do see them most of the time, not all of the time, but when there, whenever there's kind of like a long span of glass, you do tend to see these. Now. I'm just gonna show you the 3D quickly for a sec so you can understand where that fits into the equation. So that there is going to be a structural column, okay? Now, why would that be required? Basically to support the weight of the roof, okay? So um, you will see those pop up from time to time. Like I said, particularly with corner windows, sometimes with those longer spans. Uh, So if, for example, we were trying to get a look where um, we were trying to do glass all the way along here without having that brickwork there. Perhaps uh, you may need a structural column in there to support the weight overhead. Um, not always, it just depends on spans and, and things like that. So um, that's more of a technical question for builders, uh, the building um, managers, drafting teams and things like that to make the call on it. But that's what struct coal means. All right, so on our front door, we've got something that says first. So you're only going to see this when you've got double doors, okay? Now all this means is that this is what we would call the active door. So when you've got double doors, one is always gonna be the primary, the one that's always the one that you open and close. Every time you turn the door handle, that one opens. The other one is what we call a secondary or fixed door, okay? So you can still open it, but you've usually got to pull up like a like deadbolt type latch type thing or something like that in order to open it, okay? So all that's noting there is that because these guys have double doors, when someone knocks at the front door, the door that's going to open every time is going to be that one on the right. Yes, you can change that if you want to. In, thi- in this case, it makes sense for it to be this one because when we open the door, we want it to open into a nice big open area, looking into the dining room, it just makes the most sense, okay? Okay, so we'll talk about two things here. RWH means rainwater head. You may have these, you may not. It really just depends on what is happening with these things, okay? So it's what we call a box gutter now. This elevation was quite unique on this home. It's not standard. Uh, by any means. Nonetheless, you still do see box gutters on a lot of homes. So I think it was, and the reason I chose this one specifically was because it had quite good details to actually explain what they were. Okay, so this is kind of, I guess, the front of the home there and you can kind of see the RWH, the rainwater head there, right? So that's where water gathers and then goes down a downpipe. Now, What you can kind of see here, and I'll show you on the 3D as well, is that because we've got these large walls that come up above the roof height, you can't really have that conventional curved type gutter, but there's still gonna be water running down the roof. We've got to have a way to catch it, okay? And then get rid of it. So it's what we call a box gutter, okay? So, where are our little details? Here they are, okay. All right, so basically what you can see there is the roof is coming down and then we've got our wall that comes up. So this is basically the front of the house. Now your water's gonna run down, it's gonna run into this gutter just here, and it will end up running into our RWH or rainwater head, like this type of thing, right? So if I was to look at that just on the 3D quickly, it might be kind of easy to explain it in even a little bit more detail so you can understand what's going on there just turn the roof back on. So the box gutters aren't drawn in, but you can kind of still see the general idea. So as you can see there around the rest of the house, we can have the normal curved gutter that we're used to. Okay, but because we've got these walls here and this is the type of gutter i often use say on a garage as an example, it goes up to your boundary or something like that, right? So behind this wall here, we would have that box gutter that we're talking about. So as you can see, it rains, the water catches in there and it's gonna run into this rainwater head as we've called it and then go into a downpipe, goes down behind that wall. So that's what a box gutter is. All right, I think we're about through the floor plan. I know that this is dragging on for a little bit but I guess there is just a lot to go through on uh, these types of plans, you know? Um, Yeah, I think that will about do the floor plan. Elevations, I will just touch on the windows quickly, but there isn't too much to understand here. I guess we've already been through things like ceiling heights and courses and uh, how to calculate um, those heights and things. So I don't need to go through that again. What you'll notice on your elevations is a little bit more detail to do with windows. So A's mean awning. So that's the type of window that winds in and out like this. S means sliding, so that's, Sliding window, big sliding window that we're all been used to, okay? So the F's mean fixed, so it means that those windows do not move whatsoever. What you notice with this client in particular is say this is the sliding door to the alfresco, we can see S, S, F, right? So what they're actually got there, that's what we call stacking door, right? So you're probably familiar with seeing those in display homes and things like that, it just means that piece of glass will slide, it will then slide again onto the fixed pane and you get a larger, Opening. All right, I don't think there's anything else. Oh yeah, actually the pelmet to garage. So, basically uh, what a pelmet is, is it's a little bit of, I guess, in this case it would be color bond, but it can be done in a a bunch of different ways, right? Um, That comes down from just underneath where the roof finishes and it hides where the garage door goes up, okay? So obviously you've got your sectional door and it's gonna go up and curve as it goes Uh, into the garage like that. The helmet just sort of comes down and masks the top so you don't have this sort of ugly opening above your garage door. Okay. You can see there the AC unit and the hot water unit that I mentioned before on the floor plan. They're also reflected on the uh, elevation. Might have even mentioned that once before already. Talked about a lot of things, can't remember. All right. Let's talk electrical. Now this one is a little bit easier, okay? Simply for the fact that they give you a legend on this one, okay? So it's easy enough to actually look at this and then look against your plan and figure out what's going on. So I'll touch on a couple of key things, but I don't need to go into it in too much detail because most of the information is there. So like I said before, things will be noted as AFL, which means above floor level. So any of the unshaded PowerPoints, uh, they will have a nominated height next to them as per what it says right here. The ones that are half-half are done at 1,050, so that's basically just above bench height. All of the black ones, they are at 300 above floor level, so that's basically your PowerPoints down at ground level. Um, the way the way to look at these little, like, alien things, if they've got two little antennas, it means you've got two sockets, so a double PowerPoint. If it's just got the one little antenna, it means it's a single PowerPoint. Um... Oh, I'll touch on TV and data. So you'll see, and it does say this over here, but just to sort of clarify what these things mean a little bit more. So D1 means one plate with one data socket on it. Down here, we can see there's D1 and C1 and D1. Okay, so that means there would effectively be two data sockets and one TV point. So why is it a C, you might ask? So it just means coaxial cable. That's the type of cable uh, that they use for a TV point. It's basically like a, very hard single wire with a bit of shielding around it. It's usually a black cable. Um, So industry's always called it coax, hence the the letter C instead of T for TV. Um, So on most builders plans, they're probably reflected that way. Sometimes they might have a little um, like antenna style icon as well. There are slight little variances between builders and the way they do, do their drawings. Okay, so these ones here, all of these ones that say UB, uh, they basically just mean underbench, okay? And they're usually for appliances and things like that. So uh, UB GPO for DW, so that's a PowerPoint for the dishwasher, okay? So GPO means general purpose outlet, by the way. So UB GPO for HP, so that's for your hot plate. Uh, you've got one here for your appliance recess, which I showed you on those kitchen elevations, that's for a microwave and you've got one here in roof for the range hood. Look, I think that probably covers off the electrical. Um, I did emphasize this in one of the other episodes, but do put a lot of time and thought into your electrical, okay? Because it does make a big difference to the way um, you use the home uh, and the way the home looks. So just really try and minimize any, I guess what I call wall acne uh, and things like that. Like as an example, You know, we've got a switch here, a switch here and a switch here. You would really try and put those all to one switch point. You know, there's no reason to have one, two, three points. Really try and have a think about how you'll move through the home and use switching. Uh, It it goes a long way to getting a better result. I think that about wraps it up because I went through the site plan first. Um, What else? Oh yeah, tiled hob. So what does that mean, you're probably wondering? So 180 high, so basically 180 high brickwork, if you like, and there'll be tile on the front of it. So you can kind of see here on this cut through uh, what the tile hob is. So it serves a couple of purposes in the cases of our cabinetry anyway. Um, it's supporting the weight of the cabinet work to a degree, but it's also giving us this little space at the back to allow us to bring plumbing up through the cabinetry to the sinks, okay? so. I'll just touch on this very quickly and I might zoom in just to explain this in a little bit more depth. So often get asked, can we do floating cabinet work? Okay, now um, what we do is we have this tile hob and we set it back quite a long way. So it does give, I guess the illusion of it being floating. It's kind of like the next best thing without the extra incurred cost, right? So remember, like I was saying just then, all of your plumbing comes up through uh, basically the floor up to your sink. Now, just from a a process and um, I guess the amount of site visits and things involved and also supporting the way to the cabinet work. So if you were to do a floating cabinet and this hob wasn't there at all, as an example, all of a sudden we don't have a place for the plumbing to come up from the floor anymore, okay? So that means it's gotta be chased into the wall and it needs to come into the sink in a different manner, okay? So if it's on an internal wall, that complicates things. If it's on an external wall, um, it's still trickier than bringing it straight up through the concrete slab, right? We then also have to consider how we support the weight of that cabinet. So, you know, if you're there, you know, leaning on it with your other half, brushing your teeth together, you all of a sudden put quite a bit of weight on it, there needs to be something to support the weight of that floating cabinet uh, as well, which then needs to be factored in. Um, The order in which the trades come to complete that work in the bathroom, then also changes and you've got extra site visits and things, so that's immediately extra call out. So the cost goes up from a labor perspective. So, um, and I guess all we'll builders do this differently, right? So, and particularly if you're spending, you know, over that project time price point, then this sort of stuff doesn't become uh, probably so, um, it becomes a little bit more trivial probably in the scheme of your build, but certainly if you're looking to spend that 180 to 300 sort of price point, all of these little cost saving measures that we try and introduce to give a great result without having that, you know, extensive cost, is sort of, it's, a, it's just a, a good way to do it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, so. Tiled recess, that's just one of those nifty little recesses in the wall to put your shampoo bottles and things like that. If you are doing those, by the way, again, this is probably more designed than reading plans, but have a think about what you're gonna have in the shower recess. So in reality, you're gonna have lots of colored shampoo bottles and toothpaste tubes and things like that, right? So uh, they can actually look a little bit untidy as well in practical day-to-day use. So, if you are gonna have one, just think about where you position it. So sometimes it's better to try and hide hide them away or get a shower caddy where uh, you can actually hide those items rather than having them on show. Look, I think that about wraps it up. i hope that uh, wasn't too long winded. I know we've dragged on for nearly an hour going through the plans, but I guess you don't really get a complete set of instructions on how to read them from your builder. So that's what I've just tried to give you. And I really hope that you learnt a lot um it's by, it's certainly not absolutely everything that's on those drawings but it should give you enough to just make sure that you know you can go through it and understand how the home's being built and what you can expect to see and everything like that look that wraps up this bonus episode as always you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as build with dezo so that's build with d e z o that wraps up learning all about your plans see you next time building in perth Everything you wish you knew in five informative episodes available on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts.